Well, I guess Dale had on black and white for the referee. I guess he's for the referee. I don't, I don't know. the ref- I've never heard anybody say I'm for the referee. I, I wore gray and blue because both teams wear gray and blue. So I'm for the gray and blue that wins. Uh, however that works out, uh, that, that's, what, that's who I'm for. You know, this is, uh, I, I tell you, it's a crazy thing that is going to be taking place today. Did you know we eat more food this afternoon than any other day of the year except Thanksgiving? <laughs> except Thanksgiving. Now, we eat all kinds of things at Thanksgiving. Today, we're going to eat our weight in Tostitos and salsa. Can you believe that? I mean, you, I don't know how many people celebrate Thanksgiving. I mean, wouldn't you assume it's pretty high? Eight out of ten, nine out of ten Americans are, are celebrating Thanksgiving. And yet, you know, most statistics say it's about one out of three are going to watch the game and, you know, be eating during that. So apparently while we watch this game, that one out of three is going to strap on the feed bag and put it away at the same pace as the entire country does on Thanksgiving. I mean, that's pretty serious, isn't it? That says something about how big this day is. And man, you know, if you're old enough, hadn't it been something to kind of watch this game evolve over the years? Remember when it was just a piddly old championship game? You know, it was just a world championship, nothing else, nothing more. I mean, today, I mean, it really has grown to being something akin to a holiday. You know, most of our holidays don't rise up to the size and stature of Super Sunday. I mean, it has grown that much. It is so big. It touches everything around it and makes it big. Wait, who watches halftime? Nobody thinks about halftime. That's when you go get more food. But, but yet tomorrow we will be critiquing halftime the same way we will the game. Commercials. Oh my gosh, you know, the Super Bowl commercials. This is, this is a highlight of the year for advertising. You know, it was, uh, 1995 was the first year that it reached $1 million to buy a 30-second ad during the Super Bowl. Tonight, $3.5 million. Now, you watch the companies that do that four or five times tonight. They'd racking up some coin there, aren't they? Man, $3.5 million. But that says something, doesn't it? If companies are willing to invest that, what they believe about this day and, and everybody watching the game, I mean, it has just gotten huge, a lot of fun with those commercials and everything. My favorite commercial comes out of the Super Bowl. Y'all remember? As a matter of fact, just last year, a little Darth Vader kid, the Passat. Yeah, I don't know if I'll ever buy a Passat, but I love that commercial. Love that commercial. A lot of fun on this day. Now, there's also some folks that are going to do everything they can on principle alone to not have fun today, right? Some of you in here, that's me. I'm not, going to, I'm not doing anything. Well, you're not going to raise your hand, are you? Okay. About two out of three of you. I don't, the game doesn't mean anything to me, and I'm going to make sure everybody around me knows the game doesn't mean anything to me. You know, we got all this excitement and all these showing how unexcited they are. Kind of makes you wonder in the midst of all this, is God excited or is he unexcited? Does God care about the game or, or does God not care about the game? You know, we've actually heard that question more this year than probably in the history of football, haven't we? As sports announcers, sports writers are trying to figure out Tim Tebow. Does God care about the score? Did God, did God make him win? Where, where's God on the game? You know, I, I actually believe God cares about everything. I actually believe he's involved in everything, ultimately bringing out his good purposes. I believe God is good with games. I think God has fun when we're having fun. I'll tell you why. A couple of reasons. One, I see in Scripture, 
Uh, I see boxing, running, uh, Olympics, wrestling, all being held up as illustrations. Not, not to be one of those things, but some aspect of that being held up as an illustration for the, the spiritual life. So I think if God was against the concept of games and sports, just, you know, just against it in whole, then I don't think he would hold that up as an illustration as something to learn. I also think that uh, God's going to have fun tonight. I think God's going to laugh some. You know why I think that? Doesn't the, scripture, doesn't the Scripture reveal God to us as a father? Well, let me ask you something. Does a, father, does a father have a good time when his kids are having a good time? Does, he, does a father laugh when his kids are laughing and, and playing? Obviously laughing and playing in right and appropriate ways, but, but doesn't he? Doesn't a father enjoy when his kids are enjoying what he's provided well, let me speak for fathers everywhere, and I think probably moms too. Yes, yes, man, we love watching our kids have a good time. Well, folks, God the Father, God the Father enjoys watching his kids have fun. He does. Now, yeah, we've got to talk about what fun is and, and what fun's not. It, it, as a matter of fact, when you throw a line out there like that, especially in our culture, we're honestly, I think in our culture, we've made fun a false idol. We've made fun a false god. We're so committed to fun and pleasure and laughter that it is it has taken control of our society. We sell out for this. And so on the one hand, I say, boy, you know what? You've got to watch out. I think fun can actually become idolatrous. And then on the other hand, I'm saying, but God is having fun when we're having fun. Well, well which one is it? Where's God on fun? Well, let, let's see if we can find out a little bit this morning. Turn with me to John chapter 10 Verse 10. We're going to be looking at a couple of passages, but we're going to leap off from here. John chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible this morning, we've got some in front of you that you can grab or somebody will hand to you. Turn to the New Testament, fourth book in, fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 10, verse 10. I think probably a familiar verse with some of us. It says there, it's a short verse, it's a simple verse. It says, a thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come. This is why I came to earth. This is why I entered your life. I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. That you may have life and have it in abundance. You know, there's a number of places in the Gospels where Jesus gives this kind of purpose statement. This is why I'm here. This is, this is why I entered the world. I came to destroy the works of the devil. I came to bring glory to my Father. I came to seek and to save the lost. Here, man, I've come so that you might have life. Now, what do you think he's saying there? I came so that you could breathe and eat and go to work. I came so that you could have an existence on planet earth. No, that's not, that's not what he's talking about. He says, man, I've come that you might live, that you might really experience. And he adds this word abundant. I, I want you to live an abundant life. Now, that word abundant means plentiful. Man, I've got all the life I could ever want. I got, I got more life than I know what to do with. And now, what does that mean? You know, I mean, I think normally, don't we use that word in a positive sense? I, I mean, you can say, boy, I've got, I've got an abundance of suffering. I, I've got an abundance of misery. I mean, I mean yes, that, it, that would be an appropriate way to use the word, but that's, that's not normally how we use abundance, isn't it? We, we don't normally attach it to negative things. Normally, we attach that 
to the good stuff. Man, I've got an, an abundance of the good stuff in life. The stuff I want, the, the stuff I need, the stuff I want to share. I've got an abundance of that. And Jesus says, man, I want you to have an abundance of life. Now, I can't imagine that somebody could say, I have an abundant life if they're just existing from moment to moment. If they're just existing from one event to the next. Man, if, if you're saying, man, I've got life. Man, I'm, I'm living. You've got a sense of purpose, don't you? A, a sense of direction. You're, you're living on purpose. And we'll talk about that a lot, won't we? I mean, you'll hear that in sermons and in Bible studies, living on purpose, and God gives us a purpose in the good times and the bad times. But I tell you what, wouldn't you, if you think about it, have a hard time saying you have an abundant life if you're not laughing anywhere? I mean, can you say, man, I've got an abundant life. You know, I spend most of it crying. I I spend most of it, you know, really just sad and upset about how bad things are in the world. No, we're not going to do that. Nor would Jesus expect us to think that way when he says, man, you know what I have for you? Man, I have come to this planet so you could live abundantly. Folks, that's going to include some laughter. That's going to include some enjoyment. And, and, And yes, God is aware that we can go the wrong direction with that enjoyment. But he wants us to have it. Did you know that twice in Proverbs 15, it encourages us to be cheerful? You remember in Ecclesiastes, it says there's a time for sorrow, but it also says there's a time for what? Man, there's a time to laugh. There's a time to cut up. There's a time to just get after it and and enjoy ourselves. 2 Corinthians 7 and 8 talks about giving. It doesn't say give till it hurts. It says give till you what? Till you laugh. Give till it becomes hilarious. It gives till you just can't help but start smiling. Philippians, short book in the New Testament. Not the shortest book in the Bible, but it's a short one. It's in that group of short books, only four chapters long. In those four chapters, in that short book, 16 times it talks about joy and rejoicing. Folks, let me tell you something. Holiness is not opposed to fun and laughter and enjoyment. Holiness is not offended by a good time. Now, you know what? I look around our congregation. I think of what I'd like to think is the DNA of our church. I wouldn't think this would be a newsflash to us. I I wouldn't think this would be, oh my gosh, you mean we can have fun? But yet, folks, think about in the Christian life. It's a lot easier for you and I to think about Jesus very still, very quiet, a little bit somber on the face, than it is to think of Jesus laughing and cutting up, isn't it? As a matter of fact, I would dare say that very few of us in here have ever imagined Jesus laughing. We, we don't think about it. We think about him over here. Very serious. And, and, and gosh, let's be honest, maybe for good reason. I mean, and then the Bible does call him the man of sorrows. He was actually the only person who, who did carry the weight of the world on his shoulders. I believe Jesus lived every moment of his life on purpose intentional and that purpose was taking him to the cross so I, I i think it's somewhat natural when we look at what he's dealing with how he's living where he's going to kind of picture this heaviness about christ but is that all the scripture reveals does it tell us jesus never smiled jesus walked around very serious because that's what holiness does very quiet because holiness is quiet is that what it says 
You remember the, the religious leaders, those that show us how to live and tell us everything that's wrong. They hated the fact that Jesus was at parties he didn't belong at. Now, do you think Jesus walked into that party to, to be still and quiet and somber? Do you think he walked in there, y'all go ahead, I'm just going to stand here in the corner and pray. You know you're all going to hell. <laughs> you know what? He might have been thinking that. But I don't think he went and stood in a dark corner. You know, Jesus liked to get together with his friends and enjoy a good meal. What do you do when you say, hey, y'all want to go to P.F. Chang's tonight? Hey, y'all want to go get a pizza? What do you do when you get together with two others, three others, ten others, and you gather around a meal? What do you do? Why don't we, why don't we just go around the table and share the things that are bothering us the most about the world today and family life? Church. No, that's not what we... You know what? There might be some meals where we share some sadness, Right? But when you think about, man, it's Friday night. Hey, y'all want to go out and get something to eat? What, is that what you're doing? No, man, what do you do? You cut up. You laugh. You have fun. And you share. Why? What would you point to in Scripture that would suggest when Jesus got together with friends to eat, He just kept it kind of sad and quiet? Kind of looking at the heaviness of the world. You know what? I think Jesus did what we did. I think He got together and He laughed and they talked about things they were enjoying and they talked about each other. As a matter of fact, the scripture actually shows us that in Luke chapter 10, Jesus kind of peels off the road, heads to a small village to hook up with some good friends of his. You know, I think a lot of times we think the only people Jesus hung around was the disciples, but it does show us other friendships he had. Three friends he had, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, two sisters and a brother. And, and so Jesus goes to their house to enjoy an, uh, a, a meal one evening. And Martha, you know Martha, she's the eternal hostess, probably oldest, a little bit type A, a little bit wound tight. You know, so, I mean, gosh, if you're a hostess, I mean, it's a little bit of pressure when the Son of God's coming for dinner, you know? You want it to be right. You want the kids to pick up their room, okay? I mean, this is a big deal. And so she's kind of carrying that intensity and that heaviness to it. Man, she's working and trying to put it all together. And Mary, baby sister, what's the baby of the family doing? Looking for the party. <laughs> baby of the family, no responsibilities. Where's the fun? Where's the conversation? Mary's just in there enjoying Jesus. They're just visiting and sharing. I, we probably wouldn't picture them laughing because, of course, Jesus didn't laugh. No, I think he probably they were. And so Martha gets a little bit wound up about this. And she finally goes in and says, hey, uh, Jesus, you think uh, you could have the uh, baby of the family over there pull a little bit of her own weight? You know, could I, get a, could I get a little bit of help here? You know what Jesus responds to her? He says, Martha, lighten up. Really relax, okay? It's not all about work and duty. Oh, that kills some of us, doesn't it? No, 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 no. The Christian life is about work and duty. No, 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 no. Jesus said, no, it actually, it's not. No, actually, Mary's doing something that's even more important than work and duty. She's just enjoying the opportunity to relate. Well, I bet she was frowning while she related with him. It was probably a prayer time. No, they're probably just enjoying the evening together. Man, let me show you another place. God leading people. I, I, the only way I know how to describe it is a good time. Turn with me to Deuteronomy. 
Deuteronomy chapter 8. Go to the front of your Bible, Genesis, and head in four more books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Uh, if you know the story, you know that they have been in slavery, they being the Israelites in slavery for 400 years. Uh, they were led out of Egypt and they were led into the, prom- uh, into the wilderness where they spent another 40 years because of sin. And now that 40 years is about up. And they are on the border. They're about to go into the promised land. And, and look at what God says here. Deuteronomy 8 verse 6. He says, so keep the commands of, or this is Moses speaking, keep the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. Now that's what we expect to hear, right? Obey and fear, obey and fear. The mountain is trembling. You should be trembling. Worshiping God is a terrifying, holy thing and we don't smile. But look at why we're obeying. Look at why we're fearing. Verse 7, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Oh gosh, it's a land of streams of water, springs, deep water sources, flowing in valleys and hills, a land of wheat, barley, vines, figs, and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without shortage, where you will lack nothing, a land whose rocks are iron and from whose hills you will mine copper. When you eat and are full, you will praise the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. Verse 11, be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God by failing to keep His command. The ordinances and statutes I'm giving you today. When you eat and are full and you build beautiful houses to live in and your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold multiply and everything else you have increases, be careful that your heart doesn't become proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Sounds like a pretty decent piece of real estate, doesn't it? Did you hear? This is what God has for him. Did you hear some of those adjectives? The things that God wants for his people? Words like good, beautiful, plentiful, satisfying. I don't know. Those words sound like cousins to words like joy and laughter and having a good time. Do you think if you're living in that kind of land, enjoying those kinds of things, that you're having fun along the way? Yeah, I think so. Now with it come some warnings Because honestly, folks, we really do have the ability to take something good and use it till it's broken, right? We really do have the the, the ability to use something in the wrong way. We really do have the opportunity to forget who gave us all these good things. And so, yeah, we see some instructions, some guidance on what? On how to enjoy good. We see instruction and guidance on how to have fun, with all that God has given. I want to give you four principles today. Four principles on living a life of pure pleasure. I think for me it rolls out of this story in Deuteronomy 8, but I'm going to touch on some passages throughout Scripture. So, four principles on living a life of pure pleasure. The first one, here's the first principle. Make God your pleasure. Make God your pleasure. Look at Psalm 37.4 here. Take great delight. Get excited about God. Get excited about Jesus Christ. Read His Word until you think He's the best thing there is. Worship with His people until you get it. Delight in God. Get excited about God. And He'll give you your heart's desires. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He says, seek first, and first there, folks, boy, we 
We hear this. As a matter of fact, the church communicates this message. We talk about priorities and we say, what's first? God. God first and what we usually say is second. Family, maybe. Third, work or church or something like that. Did you know that nowhere in Scripture does it give a priority list? Not one place in Scripture does it say your family is priority number two. What it says is, and interpret that word first as preeminent. The preeminent, the prominent, the dominant priority of your life is to seek God. That's, that's your only priority. That's the only thing you're on this planet to do is to seek Him. Now, as you raise a family, you'll move into that family saying, how do I know and serve God here? As you go to work, how do I know and serve God here? As I go play softball, how do I know and serve God here? As I make money, how do I know and serve God here? Whatever you're doing, you don't have a whole bunch of priorities. You've got one priority. Jesus says, make God your priority and everything else will come together. Man, don't, aren't you grateful to God for letting us know how to get there? Do you realize we've got billions of people on this planet running around trying to find happiness, trying to find peace, trying to find security, trying to find meaning, and they're looking in sex, they're looking in drugs, they're looking in alcohol, they're looking in relationships, they're looking at work, they're looking in sports, I'm going to be better, I'm going to be faster, I'm going to be stronger, I'm going to be smarter, I'm going to make more, and they're trying all of these things. And they're all going to break. Some of them can kind of work temporarily. Some of them can kind of dull our pain for a moment. But folks, we'll live our life chasing after these things. And Jesus says, man, you don't have to chase after all that stuff. Chase after one person. And he'll bring everything else that you need. Everything else that your heart desires. Make God your pleasure. You know what? The title of this message is A New Happiness. Here it is. In 2012, we're going after the giver, not the gift. I want the gift. And Jesus has told me how to get the gift. Don't go after it. Whatever you think the gift is, that's not what you give your life to. Go after the giver. Second principle. Second principle for enjoying a life of pure pleasure is live by the scriptural guidelines. Play by the rules. Look at Psalm 119, verse 2 up here. Happy. <gasps> Don't you love when pastors explain to you the difference between happiness and joy? Have y'all heard that? Amen. Yeah, I, don't get excited. I think it's about the dumbest thing in the world. I've never understood it. All I know is I either feel good or I don't. Y'all, yeah, happiness is an emotion that comes and goes. But joy is that way down deep, feels good all the time. Dear Lord, what in the world does that mean? I just want to feel good right now, you know? Hey, happy. It doesn't say some deep spiritual thing that's way down deep. Happy. Happy are those who what? Who keep His decrees. You're going to be happy if you obey. You're going to find security and peace and comfort and joy, the deep down thing that other pastors can explain that I can't. You're going to find all that when you obey. When you obey. Folks, God does not give us rules to limit our fun. He gives us rules because you and I are out of control with our fun. God does not give us rules to keep us from having fun. He gives us rules because we always break the fun. We ruin the fun. We can be so destructive with our fun that it begins to hurt others. So he says, man, I want you to enjoy all this stuff. And I've given you a body to enjoy all this stuff. But man, there's how it works. Eat. Eat. 
Eat and enjoy all the good food, but don't be gluttonous. Enjoy the things, but share. Enjoy money, but don't worship it. Enjoy the money. Use it first and foremost to worship me. Enjoy sex. Oh man, I want you to enjoy it. But inside of marriage. Man, did you know I've got a command on my life to enjoy the wife of my youth? Watch out now, the rated R part. The Bible says, let her breasts satisfy you always. Enjoyment, satisfaction in sex. And God said that? How utterly embarrassing. That's not true. Yeah, it actually is. It's exactly what God wants for us in marriage, in the rules. Folks, the rules are for us. They keep us from having to apologize, to pay for things we broke, from getting diseased and getting broken ourselves and having to fix things. The rules are for us. Live by the rules. Which means that you and I know everything that God's Word says about everything that we're doing in life, right? Say, well, man, that's going to take a lot of time to study all that. That's all right. Yeah, it might take as much time as we spend watching, you know, a football game or TV or something. Yeah, live by the rules. Number three, give thanks. Give thanks to the giver. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, give thanks in everything. That's God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Folks, we should walk through every day of our lives. Yes, we should wake up, have prayer. Part of that prayer time should be giving of thanks. But folks, the discipline of our life should be just to walk through life thanking God for every single good moment that we have. You ever hung up the phone and thought, man, that was a great conversation. Now, I'm not talking about when you hang up the phone with a bad conversation, but, you know, there are some that that was a great conversation. Man, I enjoy that prayer. Thank you, God, for that conversation. Man, thank you for a good meal. Boy, Lord, thank you for helping me get there on time. Man, Lord, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for that sunset. You know, he gave you eyes so you could enjoy his artwork. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for the opportunity to have that experience, to know that person, to get to do that. Boy, this really protects us when you and I build the discipline of giving thanks. Because when we don't do this, a couple of bad things happen. When we're not giving thanks, we start to think we're actually owed that. When I start to enjoy good things, I expect them because I deserve it. I expect them because after all, I provided it. I did that. And when we're not giving thanks, we will forget God you know if you stop and think about it you can enjoy something without God you you can enjoy a moment You, you can enjoy a sunset without God but when you start to give thanks that kind of turbocharges the happiness that kind of turbocharges the pleasure because now not only am I enjoying this random event this random moment but I realize hey there's nothing random to this at all I'm enjoying this because my God loves me I'm enjoying this because my God has given me this or enabled me to have this, enabled me to enjoy it. And it just kind of makes it even bigger, that moment and what we're enjoying. Give thanks to the giver. And then last thing, rejoice. Have fun. The Bible says rejoice always, all the time. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. Just like the next preacher, I can talk about the weight and the seriousness of things. And I do, don't I? Don't we talk about standing before God and being ready for that? Don't we talk about the reality of people all around us moving into a Christless eternity in hell and the seriousness of that, the bigness of that, the concern that ought to be on our lives? Man, we look out in our world and there is a lot of bad news out there, isn't there? But 
isn't there some, isn't there some good news too? Isn't four books of the Bible called the Gospels? Four books titled The Good News? Yeah, man, there's a lot out there that is wrong. There's a lot out there that's bad, but I can be rescued from that. That's good news, isn't it? I can know I'm going to heaven. I can know that I'm loved by God. I can know that I am forgiven. I can know who put the sunset out there. Man, I've, I've been given a book so that I can enjoy lots of good things and not mess it up. That's pretty good, isn't it? Rejoice. Be excited. Be happy about that. I'm not talking about, and the church I think does give this message sometimes. I'm not talking about, talking about walking around with a plastic smile on your face. I'm in Jesus, so I'm happy. Yeah, a lot of people get that when they come to church, right? Many people are all fake. I'm not talking about pretending to be happy. I'm not talking about pasting a smile on your face. I am talking about read God's word until you smile. Come and worship until you get it. You realize a lot of us in here when we're worshiping, we don't get it. We think it's about us. We're in here to critique, to evaluate, and talk about whether I was blessed or not. You're not getting it. No wonder you're miserable and unhappy. Do it till you get it. Do it until the smile comes on your face. Do it until you can obey God's command. Rejoice! Well, when he says rejoice, he's talking about something way down deep inside that's not based on the circumstances going on around you. Well, if you want that good for you, I want to rejoice. I want to be happy. I want to be excited. And so does my God want that for me. And there's verse after verse after verse that suggests it. Now, you know what? I don't know if I can build for you a theology on what God thinks about the score of the game tonight. I, 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 don't, I don't know about that. You know, and I think sometimes when we think about happiness and, and Jesus, whether he was happy or not, we think about God and football, we want to go to one of two directions, either God's foreign or God's again in. You know, he's with it or he's not with it. And, and the reality of it, folks, is it's, it's not either or, it's both. I am confident that God will look into the stadium tonight, will look onto that field. I'm confident He will look into some Super Bowl parties. And I am confident His heart will be broken. I am confident He'll be offended. He will see things, He will see people living outside of the rules He's given for our goodness. He'll see them living in ways that is just so illustrative of their completely and totally empty lives so that they have to cover it up with alcohol. They have to cover it up with anger and aggression. Man, it's got to break the heart of God when people's lives are so empty, their life is so defined by a game that when they lose the game tonight, they have to beat their family. Did you know that the... 12 hours following the Super Bowl, we'll see a spike in domestic violence unrelated to any other time of the year. That's actually an old statistic. I don't know if it's exactly true, but I read that a while back, that the night of the Super Bowl is one of the highest nights of domestic violence. You see, that's when I look at the world and say, now, you're, see, when you become a Christian, you stop having fun. Only out in the world can you, can you really be having fun. And I'm thinking, really? You know what? You can keep your fun. You know what? In my fun, nothing ever breaks. In my fun, I never end up with my head in the toilet. In my fun, I never end up with a sexually transmitted disease. In my fun, I never have to apologize. In my fun, relationships are never broken. 
and my fun you never have to leave in the cover of darkness. You know, my fun doesn't have to involve any of that stuff. If that's your fun, man, you can keep it. Now, see, some of us are talking, that's right, you give it to them. Pastors are all going to hell if they watch that game. (laughs) No, no, yeah, there are some things that are not going to be right. But, folks, I also believe that God is going to laugh tonight. I believe there are some Super Bowl parties he's going to look into, and he's going to have a good time. He gave me taste buds to enjoy Tostitos and salsa. I praise God for that. I praise God he enabled my taste buds to take on the medium and the hot. Some of you sissies only got mild taste buds. Man, I feel sorry for you. Man, God, God give, give me the ability tonight to, to get into bed. And you know what? It doesn't matter what the score of the game was. I'm going to be able to enjoy it and have a good time. And I'm going to go on with my week because God's good either way. You know, I mean, I'm going to be able to go to bed and I will have enjoyed time with friends, time with food, time with family. And it's God who gave me the opportunity and the ability to do all that. And my God has fun when he sees his child having fun. You want a new happiness in life, folks? Make God your happiness. And anything and everything else that brings happiness comes right in tow with him in a way that is right and good and works. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You, Lord, for everything. I thank You for taste buds and eyesight and ears and fingers. I thank You for trees and the sunset and the sunrise and the ocean and the mountains. I thank You for my wife and my kids. I thank You for friends. Lord, I thank You with the seriousness and heaviness of life. There's opportunity and places to to just get away and kind of let down and enjoy a game. Enjoy fun together. God, I'm sorry that we've attached such a a heaviness and a seriousness to you that, that joy doesn't mean joy and rejoice doesn't mean rejoice and happiness doesn't mean happiness. No wonder the world, they watch us. No wonder they're not interested. God, I want to walk with you in godliness and righteousness and holiness. I don't want to live a life where I pretend like sin is okay. But Lord, I don't want to present a life either that says walking after you must clearly be miserable. Lord, I thank you. You created this body, the heart. You created the lips that create a smile. And you created all the things that bring that smile. Thank you for an instruction book that shows me how to make that smile the most genuine, the most lasting, the most right and good. Oh, every good thing comes from you and I praise you, Jesus. I praise you. Lord, give me the wisdom. Give me the insight not to chase after all the things that bring that happiness, but to just chase after you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.